Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rare Enough Podcast, not your ordinary brain cancer podcast. I am Head for the Cure's own staff survivor, DJ Stewart. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about me. I am a four-year, grade four, glioblastoma survivor dedicated to kicking brain cancer's ass. So let's hear what makes today's guest rare enough. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Rare Enough podcast. I am so, so excited to share today's guest with you. He is an inspiring guy all around with an incredible attitude and a hell of a story to share. Everybody, welcome Zach Round. Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. I know it was supposed to be in person. I'm super sad it has to be remote, but thanks for sitting down with me and Aaron. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I, I'm a little sad it's not in person, too. Uh, it's been very expensive here in California, so I don't blame you at all. <laughs> we will, I think we can definitely make it happen at some point, though. Aaron and I get to make it out to the West Coast pretty often, and I think we would have a good time together. I want to go legitimately mountain biking, and I feel like you're the perfect guy for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. No, thank you. So, for those that don't know, Zach is an incredible, incredible survivor in the, the brain tumor community. Zach, I don't want to tell too much of your story, so let's go ahead and kind of dive in. First, let's start with you. Tell me a little bit of backstory about you besides the tumor. Just backstory about Zach so that our listeners can get a feel for who they're chatting with. Yeah, so my backstory is it's pretty simple. Um, I was a football player at high school or college. I'm not playing anymore, but I played football then. I also uh, mountain bike before my tumor and after my tumor. And I just love being outdoors. I love fishing. I love shooting. Uh, I hunt sometimes. Uh, I love traveling the world. And I just really like life being more like on the uh, adrenaline side. <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of how I enjoy life. And whenever I'm kind of cooked up and away from that, I kind of get irritated and don't really like life as much. Man, do I hear that. I am right there with you. You could have just interchanged the things that you do for the things that I do with the same same absolute attitude. Uh, I'm curious, mountain biking, not the, you know, the super everyday thing. How did you get into mountain biking and the type of mountain biking that you do? For those that don't know, Zach does like gnarly backcountry big jumps. It's it's pretty crazy. So how'd you get into that, Zach? Yeah, so I got into that through my father. He took me out on the Rally Cat. It's kind of a bike extension that goes onto the back of the bike. Uh, it's kind of like those over, like the the carriages that you see on the back of the bikes. Yeah. Except for it's kind of um, an extension where it's like you're riding the bike, but the front wheel is like the bike in front of you. Right. If that kind of makes sense. No, I think I've seen them. Yeah, so I, I started out on that. Uh, they're not around anymore, which is probably because they're not very safe and they <laughs> aren't very safe. But I would ride on that. We'd ride, you know, like maybe once a month, you know, ever so often from 2005 to 2009, 10. Okay. And then I, I got my own bike and I started on a little Walmart bike, you know, it's kind of like the Rite of Passage, start a Walmart bike, and then start a Hardtail, which has no full suspension. So I started on that, and then around 2013 is when I got serious into it. It was after I went on a trip to Deer Valley in Park City, Utah, and I went to their bike park, and that's when I kind of, like, got serious. I flipped the switch, and I was like, okay, you know what, I want a mountain bike. Got myself my first bike. It was a demo bike, uh, full suspension. I got it as a hand-me-down from one of the bike shops, half bike shop that I go to a lot. And from there, I just really enjoyed it. And I just started growing and growing. And I got into the discipline about bike I am today. Hell yeah. So how long ago did you actually you know get your first bike? Even if it was the, the Walmart hard frame or hardtail so how, how long have you been actively, aggressively pursuing mountain biking as a passion? Around 2000, 
eight, I believe. I'm not, I'm not off your percent, like the 2007, 2009, I don't know, somewhere around my early years of life. Yeah. I remember I rode it on just some $500 Walmart bike and the rest was history. That's awesome, man. That is what, what first like caught my eye about you was, you know, obviously the, the Instagram name for those who don't know is his name is tumor warrior. And I just see that pop up. And then I just see this guy flying through the air of like some gnarly backcountry thing, like I was saying. So I'm excited to hear that kind of backstory, letting us know who we're dealing with besides the diagnosis. So if you don't mind, let's, let's kind of dive into that. When you were diagnosed, just, you know, give us a point of where you were at in your life when all of this started to, to show up. So the point in my life that I was at was actually very good. I was in a great, great point of life. Uh, I was finally starting on varsity for my football team, uh, which is a, a, a very competitive team at JCR Catholic High School. We're part of the Trinity League with the uh, modern day St. John Bosco, which is the two teams that are one and two in the country. So it was highly competitive. Uh, I was starting in that, at that point in my life. Uh, and I was just winning at life. Uh, I was, I was getting really good grades. I was getting, you know, offers for college. I was getting looks at for college and it wasn't like small colleges or there were like decent sized schools, like some of the Ivy league schools, some of the division like double A schools. And my life was just in an upward trajectory. I just got a girlfriend too. And just everything was just going very well. Right. Seems like you're you're on top of, of everything. And this is freshman. Wait, what this is senior? You're getting looked at oh dude. All right. Yes. Yeah, this was um, early two thousand seventeen. Gotcha. Okay. That's when everything was going down. And then uh, it was Martin Luther King Junior Day and that was January sixteenth of two thousand seventeen and that's when I crashed my mountain bike and everything just hit the fan. So wait, you're saying the day that you actually found the tumor, the diagnosis came. You're you're mountain biking. Okay, uh, I played I played rug I played a rugby tournament the day before actually, and I I killed it. I I scored twice. Um, mm-hmm. As an offensive lineman in football, you never score. Right. So it was like a big deal that I scored on a rugby pitch. I was like, oh my gosh, like I actually did something, <laughs> and then. It was it was just normal. I, I went out on a normal ride. I attempted a road gap because I was like, hey, I mean, I'm pretty sure I could get this. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't land it on my head. And they wanted to take me into the ER via helicopter. So I went to the ER via helicopter. And their full trauma protocol is a CT scan. Yeah. From head to toe. Wow. So... That discovered the mass in my brain, and they were like, hang on, well, what is this? So they took me down for an MRI, and that's when they discovered the brain Man, so this is kind of crazy to say, but you're telling me that you just completely getting smoked mountain biking potentially could have, like, you know, saved your life. Like, what? who knows how, were you actually... Were you having any other like symptoms around that time? I know you were saying you were riding high in life. Anything else weird feeling? No. So the brain tumor was in the back of my head. Okay. And I was getting headaches back there, but I thought it was because I'm a football player. I'm dehydrated. I need to drink more water. So I just drank more water. Didn't think of it at all. And that's when I'm, I'm religious. So I say the blessing of disguise happened. Yeah. And I, I told him, was like, this is a total blessing in disguise. Like, I would have never found out about this brain tumor if I never got in that crash. And my life was completely saved. Um, even though it, like, sucked at the time looking back on it, you know, some decisions that were made in my life literally were for the best. Yeah. Like, the girlfriend I had, even though she left me after the first surgery, it was for the best because now she's this head person that I never thought I'd be with um, and just someone that I 
I, I just didn't know was going that path. Right. So it, this, you know, it's weird to say, cause I'm kind of the same way. It's, it's weird to see, but kind of cool to see the upsides of the down. And I had a very similar story where it was like, I had a random seizure and fell out of my chair. So they were like, Ooh, yeah. And like my shoulder was hurting when I woke up and they were like, well, we should do a little, a, a scan. And then same thing. They're like, uh, it's not your shoulder that you should be worried about, buddy. Like it, it so when I hear you tell that, I definitely, I'm just like, what? This is so cool. But at least yours is way cooler. I, I fell out of a chair. You, this guy's doing a road jump on a mountain bike. That's so epic, dude. And what an amazing, you know, you're going to be able to one day tell your family like, yeah, so I'm jumping the road on a mountain bike and I, I biff it. And then I get life flighted out in a helicopter just to find this crazy diagnosis and be like, you know what? Screw that thing and keep living. You're awesome, Zach. So <laughs> let's, uh, let me get back to it. We're in the hospital right now. They have done the scan and found a brain tumor. What the hell, besides a tumor, is going through your mind right then? Well, at that point, they didn't tell me it was a brain tumor. Said okay. I was a pediatric patient. I was 17. Oh, whoa. They only told my parents. No way. So my parents knew a day before. So I was in the hospital for two days. Mm -hmm. One day was to get me in, uh, kind of get me treated and release me. So that's what they thought. But it turned out I had the brain tumor. So when I was in the hospital, they told my parents and I stayed for an extra day. And I was kind of wondering, like, why am I doing this? I, I guess, you know, this system is just like screwed up or whatever and didn't really think of it and then that's when my neurosurgeon well that's when a neurosurgeon walks in and goes i'm an adult neurosurgeon but you have a brain tumor i'm like uh what and then some pediatrician walks in kind of explains the situation he's like yeah you have brain tumor it's pretty big you have a one in ten chance of living you know you're gonna die and i'm just like that's not something you tell a pediatric. <laughs> right. Like, come on. Yeah. So after a couple of neurosurgeons were like, no, I can't do it. Um, and a couple more behind the scenes actually were like, no, this thing is the size of a golf ball. So I'm not touching it. Uh, one of the neurosurgeons at Chalk, just Children's Hospital, Orange County. Okay. He was like, yeah, I'll do it. Um, he usually deals with like patients who have kind of the worst outcomes and mm -hmm. kind of uh i don't want to say the worst outcomes kind of not the best right the risky ones yeah. maybe the yeah, yeah. Like, he works on risky types of uh like sizes like locations and, and stuff. yeah that makes so, a lot yeah, of sense it's more of the dirty work and no that sounds wrong no i like it man. no i i dig that he does this because yeah, that like i don't want to say hard work since discounting everyone else but he does, he does kind of like the more, like, rare stuff. Hey, you're, you're speaking to the choir, brother. <laughs> like, you don't need to apologize. That, that's absolutely, I think everybody's probably going to get exactly what you're saying. You know, he's the one that's going to say, you know what? I know everybody passed on it. I'm going to give it a shot. I want to, I think I can bring something to this. So I think it's cool that you're, you know, giving that doctor his, his due time. Thank you. Yeah, his name is Doctor William Wildman. He's a he's a phenomenal neurosurgeon. He's one of the best in his practices, and he, you know, he manned up and he was like, "Yeah, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and I'll give a crack at this." And then he was actually prepping me for surgery that night because it was so big, but they had to call it off. Uh, he had his anniversary with his wife. Uh, they were going someplace, and he didn't want to. <laughs> not be around me when I'm recovering. So oh. it's like, all right, well, let's, let's postpone it a week. And that's what happened. So it was January 23rd and January 23rd of 2017. That was my first ever surgery and it was a craniotomy. All right. So I, I know that word very, very familiar with it, but uh, what, what's a craniotomy is that just to, to fill in anybody that might be catching up? Yeah, so a craniotomy, I'm no medical expert by, by any means, uh, but a craniotomy is 
uh, kind of, you know how open heart surgery is, how they open the chest, they get to the heart. And it's kind of like that, but for your brain, they go through the back of your brain, they open up your skull and then they work on the brain. And he just happened to work on removing a tumor. There you go. And those that don't know what a craniotomy is, now they definitely do. And Zach was nice enough to send over his bio and I got to read it beforehand. You have had just an outrageous number of procedures. Correct me if I'm wrong. You have had since 2017, 17 procedures? I have, yes. My word. I'm sure that we could kill two or three episodes talking about every one of those. Could you maybe, I don't know, there's have to be some that stick out. Is there any, you know, crazy stories or anything that you'd like to share that stick out regarding one of those 17 procedures? Oh, gosh. Have to choose one? No, no, no. I mean, just let's let's talk a bit about all of those. I see you went through. Okay, a bit yeah. about them. Um, I mean, they, they all happened very quickly. The first 13 actually happened within 364 days of each other. Wow. Like, so my surgery number one was January 23rd of 2017. And my 13th surgery was January 22nd of 2018. So within 364 days, I, I kind of wanted to do that just to average out my number of more than one a month. There's no like 4.01 or something like minuscule, but you know. And correct me if I'm wrong, are you doing reg- other treatment while all of this is going on? Are you Have you started any other, you know, chemos, radiation, that sort of stuff as well? Or is this... The first year is all surgical. Yeah, so I had I had a therapy called gamma knife radiation therapy. Hey, me too, uh, Cutler. Me too. Is it a tip? Yep. Heck yeah. Hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very uh, it's kind of like chemo, but it's a very fine point chemotherapy, and it radiates just to like the pinpoint accurate spot that it's uh, given to. I love that I'm just discovering that now while we're on this meeting. Where was yours at? Mine was in the back of my head, so it was between my brainstem and cerebell. Uh, that part I at least knew. Where was the, your gamma knife procedure? Where did you have that? Oh, uh, the gamma knife was done at San Antonio Regional Hospital okay. in Temecula, California. They were the only hospital in the vicinity of CHOP to have the machine, I think. Gotcha. This is when Gamadef was first like up and coming. Now it's like I think it's a it's a bigger procedure, but that's when it was like first coming around. Yeah. And I wonder if you had a similar experience to my Gamma Knife. I remember the doctors and the nurses and I mean everybody was incredible. And I do really attribute that to a lot of my success, but I feel like I got undersold, dude. They told me like, you know what? This is going to be nothing. You're going to be in and out. No problem. You've gone through craniotomies. You've gone through this, that, and the other. You're going to be fine. And then they screw that damn halo onto your head. Was yours the same as mine? Like, basically, it looks like you broke your neck. And they do it with a legit drill through the the temple? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay, I, we got to trade photos. But I remember the gamut I've been so much, like, gnarlier than I thought it would be. Here's her. That's, that's what they told me, too. They were like, oh, yeah, it's an easy procedure or whatnot. And uh, I was getting my MRI. That machine crapped out on me. <laughs> what? Yeah, the, the first MRI machine crapped out on me. So it, it like, delayed the treatment for, like, in, for like hours. Oh, brutal, man. Yeah. You'll, you'll find out throughout my story everything that... Could go wrong, did go wrong. All right, well, let's let's dive back into your story. We know, you know, the total of the first year is 13, and we're talking about different ones. I saw that you had, obviously, many procedures regarding the brain. I'm seeing a couple on here that reference the kidney. Could you tell us what happened with that? Yeah, so in my first surgery, I got... Bacterial meningitis from, uh, we, we don't know where it's from. We have speculation of what it's from, and we think it could be a cool about, or 
a, a tool that wasn't cleaned properly. But we, we have no idea. Um, we, we can't prove that or anything. But that's our speculation. And since the first surgery gave me bacterial meningitis, it also gave me hydrocephalus from it. So my, um, the, like the aqueduct that appears for CSF or cerebral spinal fluid was locked and they had to give me, uh, not only medical procedures to kind of figure out the problem with that, but they all started giving medicine to get rid of the bacterial meningitis. And if you, you, you know about the brain, you know, the brain is one of the hardest places to get into. Mm hmm so what has a very deadly fire, very dense bacteria in the brain, you have to get into it with a very strong medicine, but it also has to be a medicine that will heal everything in your brain or, you know, you'll be ready dead. Right. So it was a very fine line of getting in and getting out. So they put me on a first medication they call, uh, it's called cefepime. And that medication, in inner quotes, it worked. Okay. And then I got released from the hospital. We thought it was over. Right. I am. I go back into the ER on the first on the second day of March, two thousand seventeen. Okay. And it turns out my right kidney was in renal failure. Oh my! My left kidney was on the brink of renal failure. What? And that was because. The medication has a side effect of giving you kidney stones. And I was mixing it with a high protein diet because I was an athlete. Right. I was also mixing it with other medications. And it was just a perfect concoction to make it so it would beat me down. And that's what it did. It gave me kidney stones. And that's what the kidneys surgeries were. Wow. So that was March 3rd, you say, of 2017? March, March 2nd. Okay. So the ER. Got you. Uh, that's when I got my record of IV sticks before they actually get going, which is seven. That's how dehydrated I was. Um, but yeah, so it was it was not far. Uh, I, I went into emergency surgery that night, and then I had a surgery the following day. I like kidneys as well. So, yeah, it was it was a lot. So we now have a a little understanding of what your body and and I guess you know your mind has gone through in these first months of diagnosis. But what what is your actual mental state during that? Like you're a a star athlete, literally in the prime of his life, where you feel like everything is just perfect for you, and then the rug gets pulled what's what's the mental place like yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna actually come for it and uh i know i i've got all this like documented and safe but mm -hmm. i don't remember anything from january 23rd till around june uh, i know i i simply do not remember anything um actually sorry maybe like a minute or two of that entire six months I remember it was, it's the weirdest thing. Uh, I, I just, I just can't physically can't remember. Um, I don't know if it's my body protecting me or uh, just my mental state just wasn't there or like what it was, but I just can't remember. Well, man, that is first off. Thank you for, for sharing that. That's, I, that almost leaves me speechless and I almost resonate with it too, though, because you would think that you would have the most vivid memories. You know, this is so crazy and life-changing and this and that. And I remember some, but it's just little, like, fragments. It's And, you know, is it a good thing? Maybe maybe it is your body protecting you or it was just so much to take in. It was, you know, trying to, like, drink from a fire hose, basically. So thank you for, for saying that. I'm sure that people out there are going to be like, damn it, I know what he means. Cause, yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean... I do have vivid memories of like certain things. Uh, for example, this country kind of funny, but um, when they give you the second medication for the bacterial meningitis and it was um, blowing up the bacteria cells, my fever shot up to about 106 or 107. Ooh. And I was so hot. I remember 
they would they were kind of like wheeling me around for tests and stuff and i would remember me just being completely naked no, just naked. There's nowhere anything. I was so hot. I yeah, was miserable, just pain. But I was out there naked, just chilling, just living my best life. Apparently, so that's that's one of the funny funnier stories that I have. That's going to be the tagline of the episode: "Out there naked, just living my best life." <laughs> what is that crowd? <laughs> um. yeah, out there naked, living my best life. <laughs> Good Blend Medical Marijuana is a state-licensed dispensary that can provide legal, medical-grade marijuana to Texans. Good Blend has the widest selection of THC products at the best price. Visit their website at tx.goodblend.com to get your prescription from a board-certified physician, place your order, then get delivery right to your door. It's that simple. Once again, that's tx.goodblend.com. Zach, I'm curious, did you have, you know, I, I'm very lucky. I have my incredible wife here. Did you have a team helping you out? Did you have a, you know, your caregivers, family? I know you said at this time we had a girlfriend, right? Yeah, she, she was out of the picture. Okay, okay. Yep, never mind. Not her. But, but did you have, you know, yeah. we like to really highlight everybody that's involved with this. So did you have some somebody that might, you know, deserve a shout out during all this? Yes, my mom, uh, that Brown, and my dad, Richard Brown, uh, they, they worked at shifts, actually. Oh. My mom would come during the day, and then my dad would be there at night, because I'm a, I'm a big guy, and yeah. they needed to move me. They would always get, like, the smaller nurses for night shifts. Yeah. So, they couldn't really move me without, you know, me kind of giving them a hard time. So, my dad was there to help move me around and, you know, kind of carry me and help support me through that. Um there's actually another funny story out of it. Uh, oh, yeah, so, yeah, love it. In the ICU, you know that they wake you up every two hours to take your vitals. Oh. And I would kind of get used to the schedule of waking up around 2 a.m., 4 a.m., 6 a.m., you know, just kind of every two hours. Mm-hmm. So at 4 a.m., I would always have a little snack, which is goldfish. I'd always have goldfish. And I'd always walk to the scale. Little did I know, my dad was making me walk to the scale to get exercise. But my dad, when I was all better, he was like, oh yeah, by the way, that scale that we made you walk across the ward to every single night, that had wheels. I love that. So I had wheels the whole time. Um, I am missing a big proponent. Uh, Why I didn't really like walking was because... The entire right side of my body was immobilized after the first surgery. Well, so I was, at that time, I was walking in a walker. I was using a walker to walk. Um, I went from wheelchair for a couple of months, then I went from wheelchair to a walker. And then right when I started physical therapy, I progressed to a cane. And then eventually, no, um, no help at all. Yeah. Uh, I still stumble around at times just because, you know, my balance coordination is off because I was cut into the cerebellum, which is the center of balance coordination of your body. So that was cut into, and it was just uh, kind of a crap start from there. Dude, I can't believe I didn't know that part of it. That is insane. I know that when I went through my surgeries, obviously there's some physical therapy that you have to go through. I can only imagine, especially knowing how you are now, talk about that physical therapy. I'm sure it was probably insane. What all did you have to go through in a nutshell? It was rigorous, very rigorous. But I had a schedule that I would give every single day. Um, so Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, those would be my heavier days. I would, well, every day, I'd wake up at 6 a.m., would do like a footwork workout. Okay. And then I'd go to school. And then, so on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'd, uh, sorry, I'd wait with, with the football team. So these are, I'm already two workouts in for the day. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, after I would wait with, I would go to physical therapy, do my physical therapy, and then I would go back to school and do conditioning with the team. And then I would go home, eat dinner, and then do some little, like, like you know, like more coordination workout or yeah. kind of just something like ticky tacky that 
I, I count as a workout, which I say I work out like four or five times a day, but right. Or, um, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would, after my weightlifting with the team, I would go over to Bauer Boxing and Fitness and I'd do a boxing session. Now, I, I, I saw you kind of go, hmm. boxing, that's a little weird. I love it. The reason why I do boxing is the trainer, Gary Bauer, he's very good at what he does. He was the world, he was the metalweight world champion in the nineties, I believe. Uh, so, so he's, he's good at boxing, but he has a program where he does boxing for Parkinson's patients and boxing is such a good workout. It works on the neural pathways between your brain and your hands. So it, it kind of works reducing the shakes. It kind of reduces uh, just like kind of the effects that you have. So I started doing that on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and, and Saturdays. Wow. Dude, thank you for sharing. Hold on real quick. I have to stop there. That is such an amazing, cool thing to pick up boxing for. Thank you for sharing that with us because I'm sure there are people out there like that are struggling with that, that hand-eye. So. Sorry to dis- derail you there, but God, that was awesome. I'll keep going, brother. I encourage anyone to do it. I mean, it's great hand eye. It's, I th- it's, I, I'd say it's the best workout that you could possibly get. It's. Have, have you tried boxing? It is a little bit. It'll be harder. Yeah. Oh, it's it's absolutely unreal. Like it's one of those things that you see someone do, and you're like, okay, I can, I can, you know, I move uh, this, that, and the other, and then you try to replicate what they do and the rhythms and everything. It is absolutely incredible. So I commend yeah, you for like that. I'm done now. Exactly. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's very rigorous. But yeah, uh, after I went to boxing on Tuesdays, Thursdays, I'd go home and just do another kind of small little workout. Uh, that that was my week, and then on weekends I do uh, boxing. On Saturdays I do uh, like a running workout, plank and footwork workout, and on Sundays would be my my uh, rest day, and I just do like one or two workouts. Nice. How long until you stepped back on a bicycle? That's got to be a pretty kind of a, a nerve wracking one, right? Like you're used to falling on the bike and falling now probably becomes a scarier, I know as a skateboarder, it was to me like, oh, I, I fall for a living basically. But then it's like, oh, that one little fall could be a lot worse now. It was nine months. Nine months. Okay. So I was back on the bike. Um, I went on a small ride with my friends. They they were doing a group at, at their high school, uh, like a mountain bike club. They just had a group ride, and I, I decided to tag Um Definitely didn't do as good as I wanted to or thought I was, mm-hmm. but it, it felt really good to be back on the bike and you know, kind of do everything. Um, another issue, actually, that I didn't go over from my first surgery yeah. was I have permanent double vision. No, so it's okay. it's pretty hard to get on the bike uh, just because you're seeing two of everything coming at you. Um, but over over the years, my eye has trained itself to use one of my eyes in full, and then use all the auxiliary uses in the other eye, to where it like ignores that image but uses everything. I know another survivor. We actually for our third or fourth episode of this podcast, we interviewed an epic human being named Anna Blackwell same kind of deal so I actually do know what you're talking about and you had to go through some pretty extensive therapy for for that as well right it's literally you're training an eye how to like do double load right uh yes and no I remember I did therapy like once or twice okay but most of it was just over time as myself I'm being like myself came from an athletic background mm-hmm. and still was athletic. I kind of just adjusted on the fly. Yeah. And just slowly adjusted and adjusted and it just came to be that way. So it wasn't so much a therapy. There was one surgery actually for my eye to fix it, but it got ruined in the thirteenth surgery. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, you just basically like you just said, I'm gonna keep it moving, I'll figure out the eye part. And and okay. now you now you're here. So 
let's see, we're, we're nine months after we're getting back onto the bike. I'll let you, you know, take it from there a bit. Nine months after the surgery, getting on the bike, like I said, where, where are we at mentally? What's coming next? Yes. Yeah, so after the bike ride, I was kind of frustrated with how I did. I started riding a little more just to, you know, kind of improve, but I didn't see as much of it as an improvement as I would liked. And I was kind of frustrated and I was often on the bike from 2017 until 2019, uh, just out of frustration. And then COVID hit and I was, you know, COVID, right? Everyone's bored, everyone's cooped up. And I was like, you know what? I live right next to, you know, these world famous mountain bike trails. I might as well like just learn and stick it out. I actually, I've been documented on my YouTube channel. I first ran out of COVID and uh, just trying to get back into it. And yeah, so you can see my, my mountain biking progress. Just upward from there. Yeah? Okay, what's real quick, let's just get that shout out in now. What's uh what's that YouTube channel called so that everybody can check it out, including me? The YouTube channel is the same as my Instagram. It's Tumor Warrior sixty seven. Alright, is that all spelled out? Yeah, uh Tumor Warrior sixty seven, no caps. No spaces. Boom. Get over there, everybody. Go after you finish this. Go watch Zach be epic. Podcast. Oh yeah, you know it. You know it. We're keeping them in for the long haul because now we're you know a ways out. What a year after your surgery kind of was where we've caught up to after the yeah, diagnosis. A year and a half. Um, yeah, uh, I just completed a football season. So actually, no, I did. I'm sorry. Okay. We're in the middle of 2018. All right. Uh, I'm training to go out to be in the football, which was amazing because my doctors never thought I'd be able to jog mm-hmm. for a couple of years at least. And I'm out there playing football mm-hmm. kind of, you know, a year after they told me that. So Hell yeah. it, was, it was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's when I got cleared for everything, which was on March 12th of 2018 medically cleared with no restrictions basically just like go out live your life right let's go exactly yeah i was was all good i was it's good to go um i still had a little problem uh by how you can see me on the screen and for viewers who are listening to me kind of notice that i have a little bit of like a speech impediment sometimes that's actually because the right side of my face is paralyzed. Okay. I got paralyzed in the 13th surgery. Uh, I think I had a stroke in that surgery. I'm not sure. True. But, um, yeah, so that's when my face was paralyzed. And that was, that 13th surgery was another, was it the second craniotomy? Is that correct? Yes, it was. It was my second craniotomy. And. I got to give you some props, man. You you sound great. You look great. Like it's one of those things. Like if you didn't point it out, most people aren't going to notice. So hats off to you, brother. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, the reason for that second craniotomy actually is from the gamma knife surgery. So my body overreacted to the gamma knife. Um, it it acted like I got ten times dosage, and it created a cyst in my brain, and that cyst filled up with fluid and it started uh started putting pressure in my brain so right when it was doing that i was having all these problems my doctor put me on a steroid um so i i guess you can say i was on roids but it, it, it was medical um and then that's what he was like all right we gotta go in we gotta fenestrate the cyst open it up right up and you know i'll kind of fix some other things and do that yep i man you yet again are preaching to the choir Be, i had literally the exact same thing i had oh my, my gamma knife what and then it required a second craniotomy like one year literally to the date after my first like wow. yeah we literally celebrated like a one-year cancer verser cancer anniversary party like had this epic party and then oh yeah by the way tomorrow you're gonna have another craniotomy so and that was in the heart of covid so i that's just like oh great now i'm at yeah hospital dead alone nobody around like it was nutty surgery during covid 
That was later on. Right. Um, it was it was part of a two part surgery. What was that? So, let's uh, let's go then. Let's start like, with part one so, too. <laughs> part one, uh, it happened on December fourth, two thousand nineteen. Uh, that was just a facial nerve reconstruction surgery. So as I mentioned, the rest of my face was paralyzed. Okay. So they were doing some facial nerve reconstruction. And the way they did this, it, it blew my mind. I'm pretty sure it's going to blow your mind. But the way they do it is they take a nerve out of your ankle Ooh. and they graft it across your face into the live side of the face. And they put it all the way across your face onto the other side and like kind of let it uh, grow. Okay. To uh, kind of like a, a feel nerve because it, it was more of like a, it, it's, there's like two types of nerves, like a twitch nerve and like a feel nerve. Okay. I, I believe. I'm not a medical expert, so if anyone wants to correct me, they can. But it, it was in there kind of to get used to like its environment, kind of, you know, getting more feeling into it. And that's when my second part happened, which was December 16th of 2020. So not in the heart of COVID, but all the COVID restrictions were still there and everyone was still a bit weary about it. Oh, and very. Yeah. yeah, that is, that's when the cool stuff really happened. Okay. So my face did have toe. They took my TFL or tensor fasciae which is a ligament you don't really need in your cap or in your quadricep, and they took that out and they put that in my face. That's where you uh, want to get my the toe to my face, and they also they connected that nerve that was grafted. They also took a nerve out of my neck and they pulled it up into my face, okay. into that nerve hub. And that's where I get all this animation from. And I, I can still animate. Yeah. But that's if I like bite down. I don't animate on my own yet. I still have to go through a lot more therapy in order to get it to work. But right now I can I can bite down and I get animation out of it. Dude, that is so impressive that you have like just kept rolling with all these things. And honestly it it's so informative. Like I as somebody that's so, you know, in-depth in this community, I feel like, oh, yeah, I, I know the gist of everything and constantly just having my mind blown. Like, I had no idea that that was how any of that worked, yet so many have to have similar procedures. So now now let's just keep it going. So that was tw- December of 20, right? We're about to go into 21? Yeah, okay. December 2020 and the head. 2021 was my first year since 2017 without a surgery. So let's go. And going good, my life was getting back on track, going better. Um, It's not really a surgery, but I say surgery 16. Okay. Um, It it was my wisdom teeth. I got those removed. Yo, that's just whatever. That's his scissor. Uh, That's 22. And then on October 14th, of 2022 last year actually we just had the one year anniversary of this surgery that was my kidney stone surgery they they removed more kidney stones i had kidney stones the size of golf ball what six year golf balls seem to be a reoccurring theme with my body like everything seems to be that size so that was the um that was my my last surgery hopefully it's forever but I love that. So it's out towards twenty more twenty. It's probably not. So you're now finally at another full year surgery free, right? Whoa, don't don't put that moment on me. Hey, I'm, I'm knocking on all the wood around me right now. Uh, I got a feeling though, brother. I got a feeling that we're we're making it through this this year scot free. How are you feeling current day? How is biking, football? What what is Zach Round really up to nowadays? I'm feeling amazing. I'm actually confident in myself. I feel happier. And the reason I feel happier is actually because I left football. Okay. Um, I, I quit football. Or not quit. I retired. I say retired because I I kind of didn't really have a choice, but I kind of was like, you know what? I, I want to hang it up. Mm-hmm. That was because my coach, I don't think, was playing me as of, you know, 
everything that happened to me medically, and I feel like I was medically discriminated against. Yeah. It, it's happened before, and I know the feeling. I was getting that feeling, and I was like, you know what, this is what's going on. Um, so I left that because of that reason and some other reasons. I wasn't getting respected on the team. I was, I was not really like, people didn't really know what it was. They were like, oh yeah, this kid's kind of weird. He's got, you know, right. problems, whatever. They were just kind of jerks. Uh, they were, they were two faced. They were, uh, they'd be nice to me in person, but beyond my back, they talk immense amount of crap. They'd always talk crap to me online, but they wouldn't say anything to me in person. You know, it, it was just, it was a very toxic uh, place to be in. There was a bunch of favoritism on the team as well. And yeah. it just, it wasn't good for me. It was, it was not a good place to be in. So that's why I left. So I retired from football. I was super happy. A little bit bummed because I, I worked my butt off in the off season in order to be that start position. And I feel as though if the coach didn't know I had all those medical issues, I, I probably was, but it is what it is. You know, you were just but misunderstood. I'm able, like, able to be happier. You know, I'm able to do what I want to do and I'm actually able to, you know, enjoy life and kind of dictate my own life for the first time in a while. And it feels great. So that's me right now. Just riding bikes and having fun and, you know, making content for social media. Hell yeah. I, I have just, one of the main reasons I just wanted to point this out because I dig it. Um, and I know that a bunch of our listeners are probably, as you know, Zach, I'm a skateboarder. And the way you talk about biking is the way that I think about skateboarding. And I love watching your videos because I always see you with like a group of people that just seems really rad and supportive and that there was, if anything, there's no way you could get misunderstood. It's like, oh, dude, he's doing this. It, it's more badass that you're doing it in spite of everything. And is that community kind of really been around you the whole time? Have, have you had a lot of love coming from the mountain bike community? It actually started in 2020 when I okay. was posting on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, before, it was just me and my buddies. Um, I mean, you know, some people knew about it. Some people didn't. I was kind of hush-hush about it. Mm -hmm. And just after that, they really supported me. Um, actually, the, the first person that I met, I was watching his videos, and I was like, hey, you know what? I want to be like him. I want to post out bike videos. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually like good friends with him. I got to meet him and everything. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. His name is Adam Mock, and that's exactly what his YouTube channel is. Uh, and I'm I'm super excited. And then I just met more and more people through him. And you know, I feel like I'm a little bit more of a part of this community. I I don't feel fully into the community just because you know some things I'm not like doing about a part of it and i i don't fully like do stuff like some group rides i don't go to just because i simply want to be by myself or I just kind of be in nature you know go out there and then some group rides i go to just because right. i i like to uh have conversation and just mingle with everyone but it's overall a great community a great experience um and yeah, hopefully if we get you on the bike, I can I can beat you in touch and hopefully we can get some people out there as well. Oh man, let's let's definitely make something like that happen. Like I said, we make our way out west and I'm I'm fully game. I'll throw on the helmet. I'm I'm down to throw my carcass down something I've been doing in my whole life. So Zach, I wanna kinda make our way towards the end. Do you have, you know, I don't know, any lessons, advice? whatever to pass on to our listeners, whether it's a patient, whether it's a caregiver, whether it's just somebody going through some shit, what, what do you got for him? Cause I know that you are a wealth of knowledge in dealing with going through some shit. So it's a very cliche statement. It's never give up, but mm -hmm. there's a reason I say never give up because you will never truly know where you could be. If you give up, they will right. always know that you won't make it if you give up. Mm -hmm. And that's just basically surrendering and, you know, kind of taking the cheap way out. And there's an analogy actually that I was taught as a peer to peer mentor for the pediatric brain tumor foundation. 
and that is the analogy of the storm. Okay. You see the storm coming towards you, this big, dark, limit storm. That's, you know, like anything in life. That's a problem. That's a medical issue. It's whatever. And you either run from it, but if you run from it, you always know that storm's going to catch back up. Or you get head into it, head straight through it. And when you're in that storm, it's very destructive. It causes a lot of commotion. It's very stressful. And it's very dark. And you don't see the end of it. And then eventually, because storms don't last forever, eventually that storm will pass. But once it passes, just a part of rebuilding, and you can build back better and just great sort of um, serenity and just you're there you're just like wow the thought of like yeah you went through something horrible tragic but at the end of the day it's you know a medical issue or it's like problems with your girlfriend or whatever it's like you can only control it so much to where it's not your problem anymore it's it's on them or it's just it's gonna happen like, like, you know, say you have cancer, say you get diagnosed, mm-hmm. it'll be like, oh my gosh, you can, you can dwell on it and like think like, oh, I, what did I do wrong or whatever? Like, yeah, it could have been diet. Yeah, it could have been this, but you're in the crap now. Like you've got cancer. It's the storm. You, you've got, you've got to face it. Mm-hmm. You've just got to face it, never give up. And you will see the end of it. And you will see that light at the end of the tunnel. You will see calmness the peaceness after it it just it's a very very beautiful at the end of it it's not it's it's not beautiful when you're going through it really don't, don't get don't give it wrong like i've been there like it is just terrible it is the worst thing on the planet but at the end of it looking back on it you go wow i made it through that i wonder what i Absolutely. And from what I can tell, it sounds like you didn't only make it through it. You took a lot of gifts away with it and you are now, you know, sharing them with the world, sharing with our audience. It's, it's really, really inspiring, Zach. And I am so grateful that you came to share your story with us on our platform. I know people are going to resonate off it. I know it's going to really matter to a lot of people. So from the bottom of my heart, from Aaron, from everyone at the Head for the Cure Foundation, Thank you for everything you do. We know these are, are real stories, and that's what is going to keep this going. So as we talked about just a second ago, or right before we started, if we can wrap it up, as always, again, Zach, thank you so much for coming. Three, two, one, fuck cancer. That's right. All right, everybody follow Zach on Instagram, all the social medias, Tumor Warrior. Go hit him up. Follow him on YouTube, everything. Thank you again, Zach. We love you here, man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me on.